Well, guys, happy Sunday to you. It stinks that we are not meeting in person if you're watching from the Fredericksburg campus. and It stinks that we're not in person, but the school is being clean. We'll be back next week on the 9th and looking forward to seeing you there. But we're in a series called You Do You. And I don't know about you, but I've heard that phrase put out there quite a bit, not only in 2020, but in 2021. And guys, with the start of any new year, we want a fresh start. We want a clean slate and a white canvas. And I know for many of us, we want that even more. We want that new beginning because we've experienced a poor ending. And I'll be honest, 2021 was a lot more challenging than 2020 because we were dealing with consequences of 2020. So I've kept hearing people say, you do you. And so over the next three weeks, we're gonna we're really going to dig in and see what that even means. What does that mean, you do you? And part of our culture here at Southridge, in, in case you're, you're new and we want your first time not to be your last time, but one thing that makes our culture unique is we value holding up a mirror to ourselves and evaluating what the mirror says versus what culture says. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that mirror is God's word. It's the Bible. And we want to make sure that we are following what God wants us to do instead of what culture is telling us to do. So we're going to jump in. There's a popular song written during the pandemic from Jason Mraz called You Do You. And Jason's music is very original. It's very fresh. And this is how the first verse goes. Who it is that you want me to be, I can't be. I can only do me. I can only go where life takes me. Now, who it is that you want me to be, I can't be. I can only do me. I can only be how God made me. Yeah. What do you think? I'm sure you're glad that I didn't sing that. But I think we would all agree that I can't be what others want me to be if they don't define what that is. And guys, there are some that bring out the worst in us, and there are others that bring out the best in us. There are those, we hear their name and we cringe, right? We, we, our anxiety level goes up. But it's also pretty passive. Notice that he says, I can only go where life takes me. So I'm like a leaf in the wind. And that drives people like maybe you, your type A personality, man, like me. That's driving me crazy, man. I'm looking to create an opportunity, not wait for opportunity. But I think we'd all agree that part of life is our decision making. There's going to be times where we make decisions that hurt where we want to go. And there are going to be decisions that help where we want to go. But let me ask you this question. What would it be like if God was navigating your life? What would it be like? The other thing is Jason leaves a very open-ended on who God is for his listener to define God as he has God lowercase. However, I need to be who God uppercase desires me to be because he made me. He made me on purpose, for purpose, and with purpose. And listen, you're not an accident. Your life isn't an accident. God made you now to deal with the challenges of 2021 and going into 2022. God has you here. Your life is not an accident, and your life your life, was meant for purpose. Now, notice the lyrics in the chorus. There's only one of me, incredibly uniquely designed. I keep my focus up ahead and leave my worries behind. I know that any goal I want to reach starts in my mind. Now, you guys know this would not be me saying this. I'm kind of dope because I'm one of a kind. I like to take my own path, never following the masses. 
I do my thing, taking risks, taking chances. I see no boundaries, no impasses to living my realized dream, keeping music fresh. And of course, that's Jason's dream. But he's right, man. He's right in the song that you and I are incredibly and uniquely designed and we are one of a kind. That is absolutely true. But who defines who we are? Is it culture that says, hey, follow your heart, you do you, or is it God who made us and wants us and desires us to resemble him? He made us to resemble him, and he wants us to live as his son Christ. Look, our culture says that we ought to look inward, but the gospel challenges us to look upward. By looking upward, we're not going to lose your... We're not going to lose ourselves. You're not going to lose yourself. I'm not going to lose myself. But rather, we find ourselves as we look upward. We find our true selves. So we're going to be in Luke 10 today. In Luke 10, um, so if you have your Bibles handy, you're more welcome to use those. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. And then we're also going to have the words up on the screen and also in the chat window. But let me tell you a little bit about Luke. Luke was a doctor, and he turned journalist as he became a follower of Jesus, and he wanted everyone to know Jesus' story. And so Luke wrote a biography of Jesus' life, and he named it after him. Luke, that's the biography of Jesus. And he wrote about the history of the early church called Acts. So Luke and Acts actually go together. Now, Luke wrote Jesus' story based on interviews from eyewitnesses. And then he wrote Acts with a combination of personal experience and interviews from eyewitnesses. Now, if you think about it, Luke was not a disciple like the 12. He wasn't a disciple even like Paul. No. See, Paul became a follower well after the resurrection. And his approach is pretty unbiased. He was interviewing people. He wanted to make sure he got all the information he could and he believed, he believed that what he wrote was true. In fact, he was willing to die. And in fact, he did die for what he believed to be true. That was Jesus rose from the dead. He believed that. And he was willing to lay his life down for that. I mean, why would anyone die for something that's not true? All right. So as we jump into this, we're going to read a very true story this morning. So notice what Luke writes. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. Now this village was a town called Bethany, which was outside the city of Jerusalem, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now here's what's so interesting. Back then, you would build on your parents' home or your in-law's home. And then I'm not sure what happened. She now has taken over the home, and now her sister Mary lives with her. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now Jesus is in the home, and most likely around the kitchen area, the kitchen table, leaning back on a pillow and teaching by responding to the questions the students are asking. And Mary is just soaking it in, man. She's getting lost, and there's, there's some things to do, but yet she's focused on Jesus. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Now Martha's preparing this big dinner because hospitality in this culture, it matters. No, we did a mission trip 
a couple years ago to Israel, and we were in Nazareth. Uh, we were seeing Alan and Raja, and Alan and Raja, they do their best, and they do such a great work with, recon- with reconciling Arab believers with Israeli believers. And we're at Raja's parents' home, and they put out the spread, man. Food kept coming out of the kitchen. It was incredible. I ate so much pita bread. It was so good. But hospitality is a big deal in that culture. But it's also similar in our culture, right? When someone of importance shows up, you put out a spread, right? You put out a spread to show that you, you like them, you respect them, you honor them. So here's Jesus doing some pretty incredible things. Things that people have, ne- have never seen before. So they're trying to figure out, is he the Messiah, you know, this, this king coming from David's line, or is he just a gifted rabbi? Who, who is this Jesus? So Martha was not only feeling that type of pressure of, man, I'm hosting Jesus, but she's also feeling the pressure from her own faith. See, in Jewish law, it was commanded that you take people in, you treat them well, you feed them, and even at times you clothe them. Like, we all agree that hospitality is a good thing, but for Jews, it was a required thing. And so all this pressure is on Martha. Have you ever felt pressure? You feel all this pressure, and what begins to happen? Yeah, you begin to get frustrated, right? Because you, you're trying to meet a deadline. You're trying to get things done. And when things aren't going the way you think they should go, you get a little frustrated. Well, let's, get, let's, give, Mary, Martha, let's give Martha some grace. She came to Jesus and said, Lord... Now keep that in mind. We're going to refer back to that. Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Now, she's getting Jesus in the middle of this. And he doesn't, he doesn't even get a chance to answer the question. She says, well, tell her to come and help me. Obviously, there was a close relationship between her and Jesus because she approaches him this way. And he responds as only he can. My dear Martha, you do you. Mary will do Mary. She is following her heart. Now, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus didn't say that. It doesn't. He didn't. But we've heard that before. You do you. Hey, you go find yourself. Be happy. Follow your heart. We've heard those things before. Our culture is big with finding happiness through self-discovery. Because I agree that being you is incredibly important. Being somebody else is very exhausting, and it's fake, and it's pretentious. No one wants that. It's exhausting to be somebody else. It's important to be you. It's important for me to be me. Now, the idea of being true to yourself, follow your heart, you do you, is called expressive individualism. And it's a very Western thing, it's a very American thing, but it's becoming a very religious thing. People want autonomy. People want to be left alone. People want, hey, let me be me and you be you. But think about it this way. If it's becoming this religious thing, if the first and greatest commandment of you do you or individualism is to be you, then the unforgivable sin would be for you to be anything other than you. And what begins to happen? Maybe there's someone we like Maybe there's someone we look up to and we want to be like them. And so we no longer become ourselves, but instead we're becoming a false version of ourselves because we're trying to be like someone else. 
Because I believe that if we continue on the path of you do you, I, I believe it's pretty problematic for, for, for several reasons. Now, there are seven steps of you do you. Here's the first step. The highest good is the individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and expression. That's, that's state, step one of you do you. And it's pretty idealistic. Seems pretty innocent. But notice step two. Through traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression, they must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. So let me ask a question. Does that mean Christianity restricts individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression? So does that mean to be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed? Step three is the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. So the world's going to get better when I do me and you do you. When I have my truth and you have your truth, the world's going to be a better place. Step four, the primary social ethic is tolerance. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible to tolerate someone or something when they... They interfere with my happiness when they interfere with my self-discovery, when they interfere with my truth. Step five is humans are inherently good. Do you have kids? Do you know kids? Step six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. Walmart, Chick-fil-A, Big business, government, church. And then the seventh step of expressive individualism or you do you is forms of external authority are all rejected and personal authenticity is what's admired. Okay, so so who determines to you what's right and what's wrong? Like who determines? Who is your authority? Like who counts as external authority telling you what to do? And it, all it comes down to, guys, it comes down to we want to be left alone. We do not want anyone telling us what to do. I mean, does that sound like anyone you know? Teenager, your child, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a family member or a coworker. Because here, here's why the path of expressive individualism or you do you is problematic. It doesn't welcome authority. Matter of fact, According to you do you, authority is bad. Guys, all of us, we struggle with authority. And we have because of what Adam did. All the way back, Adam decided to break God's one rule. Do not eat fruit from that tree. And what did he do? He ate fruit from that tree. We all deal with this brokenness. Guys, we're not born whole. You're not born whole. I'm not born whole. We're not complete. We experience this when our child lies to us. Like, why do they lie to us? They don't like authority. Why is it when a coworker is looking for another job because they get called out? They don't want to work for that company anymore because they got called out. Why? Because they don't like authority. We experience with friends and family. Like, they want to express themselves and they expect others to be tolerant, but they're not willing to be tolerant of other people's different opinion. 
Why? Because they don't like authority. So with all this in mind, this idea of you to you is pretty problematic. Let's get back to the story. Here's what Jesus said to her. My dear Martha, you were worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary, she discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to come and help you. And the primary point of the story is that we're often distracted by things of this world that we forget to focus on what's most important. And that's a relationship with God through Jesus. But a secondary point worth mentioning is that you do you isn't always what we should do. Mary is doing Mary. Martha is doing Martha. And Jesus says, no, you got it wrong, Martha. Mary is doing it right and you're doing it wrong. Listen, Mary chose better than you did. And guys, we don't know how Martha responded. We don't have the details of that. Whether Luke was never told or he just never added those details to the story. But the temptation in our culture is that we're going to argue with Jesus. We're going to argue with the creator of the universe. We're going to be like, nah, I, I was following my heart. I'm doing what's required of me. And hospitality is how I'm wired. My truth is truth and her truth ought to be my truth. And Jesus, you have to tell her that this isn't fair and she needs to help me. Guys, there are significant implications to this exchange between Martha and Jesus. One of the biggest ones is Jesus. He tells her how it is. See, when we read about Jesus, it's easy to see him as a person with authority. I mean, he turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people over a kid's meal. He healed the sick. He taught with a different voice than the rabbis. Obviously, Jesus was different and Jesus had authority. It would be easy to say that Jesus was a person with authority, but it's not easy to see him as our authority because when we surrender to him as our authority, we are accountable. Did you notice back in verse 40, Martha addressed Jesus as Lord? It was a title of authority. It was a title of influence. And in that time, when you called somebody Lord, it meant that you were willing to follow them explicitly. No questions asked. No matter what, you were their follower. And the hard part of choosing somebody as Lord is following them when they make things uncomfortable. Maybe when they call you out and they are expecting you to change direction or go against what your heart is saying. Making someone your Lord it changes your life. See, by addressing Jesus as Lord, Martha is saying that not only is Jesus her leader, but she wants to be under his authority and influence. And guys, for some of us, man, we're not willing to make Jesus our Lord because we're not ready or willing to have that type of accountability. Instead, we'd rather look at Jesus as a teacher as a life coach, as a counselor. That means we're allowed to pick and choose what we want from him, what's going to work for us in that time. And the truth is, man, it's impossible to have Jesus as your life coach, but also have him as your Lord. Listen, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. And the temptation is to give Jesus what we want when we want it. Like, Jesus, I want you to give me this now. 
and then he gives it to us and we're good. But we want him to stay away until we're ready for something else. Guys, we're led to believe in our culture that by resisting authority, we have autonomy. And by having autonomy, we have authenticity. You do you. But this only comes by rejecting authority. In our case, Jesus' authority. Guys, as a follower of Jesus, we have an opportunity to be even better than just an authentic version of, our, of ourselves. We have an opportunity to be a follower of the one who loves us, who wants what's best for us and provides us purpose that makes life come alive. The most authentic thing that you and I could do is to surrender to Jesus as Lord, to give him authority over every area of our life. That's the most authentic thing that you and I can do. Guys, following Jesus, and he says, I want you to pick up your cross. The cross is incredibly offensive. We've all sinned. There's no amount of self-discovery that could fix it. Not only have we sinned against ourselves, but man, we've sinned against God. And the good news of the cross is that God was not willing to allow our sin to keep you and I separated from him. Sin separates and rebellion severs. I think of my relationship with Brooke. Every time that Brooke rebels against something we ask her to do, it hasn't helped the relationship. Right? We've had to rebuild it from that moment. We had to rebuild trust. We had to rebuild the understanding. Guys, our sin, it separates us from God, but he loves us so much that Jesus was willing to pay the punishment our sin deserves. So the question on the table this morning for you and for me is, why not surrender to him who gave his life so that we could live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're confronted with cultures you do you father i ask that we would understand how problematic it is god i ask that you will help us to surrender to you as the leader as the lord of our life father i pray for those who have been following you for a long time and they've been only following you as their teacher. They have not been all in. I ask that they would be all in. Father, I thank you so much that you have a better way of life. That I'm able to know who I really am because of you and because of this relationship that I have with you. Father, I want other people to experience that very same thing. So Father, I'm asking right now that you help us to surrender. You help us to be all in with Jesus as the leader of our life. He has all authority in Jesus' name. Amen.